all this happened to us, though we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals and covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or or spread out our hand to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of our heart? Yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Redeem us because of your unfailing love. Thank you, Pat. Friends, do keep Psalm 44 open in front of you. Let's pray that God would help us as we look at this psalm together. And so let's pray. Lord, would you open our ears afresh this morning as you speak to us in our situations, in the context in which we find ourselves. Thank you that you give us the psalms for times like this. And so be at work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by saying this is not all there is to say, but today is not really a day for answers, or in one sense, a day for much certainty. Um, But in a sanitized world that struggles with death, here are some starters and thoughts and ideas from God's word, maybe just to help us for the day ahead, the week ahead. It was Athanasius, we've said before, he said, The Psalms have a unique place in the Bible because most of the scriptures speak to us, whereas the Psalms speak for us. The Bible is a very honest book when it comes to suffering, the reality of brokenness and hardships, about pain. And whilst there is something of a mystery, and there always will be, God does equip us with words to say when our words fail us. He gives us words. I have no doubt that the Psalms will have been a precious resource for many um, over these past few days. Helping us to to verbalise not everything but something of what's going on inside. The pain, the anguish, the trust in God in the darkness perhaps. And know that as we use the psalms at a time like this know that we are not alone as we do that for the son of god himself finally as he came to defeat suffering and death forever cried out on the cross from psalm 22 
Our God cares about suffering. He cares so much that his son finally came to deal with it. That is the big story. But here and now in the midst of the mess, it hurts. And so come to Psalm 44. I have to say, I have something of a love-hate relationship with Psalm 44. I, I love it because it appeals to my slightly non-conformist, awkward side that likes the rules to be broken. It's a psalm, a lament psalm that doesn't obey the rules. It doesn't do what it's meant to do. It doesn't behave as it's meant to. It doesn't let us put God in the box. It's raw. It's honest. It leaves us even with unanswered questions. And so it is very real. And in being real, therefore, it's hard. It, it cries out to God. It, it's a people verbalizing the pain of God being distant or absent. And his people not knowing why. It's a psalm for people like us at a time like this. In the midst of tears and of pain and anger, hurt, sorrow, confusion, questions, darkness. Psalm 44 is for a time like now. People say it's, um, it's the book of Job at the national scale. You have suffering and hardship and trials and scorn and question after question after question. But unlike Job, you reach the end and we're just not told why. There is no clarity. There are no answers. There is no nothing. We're just left hanging. You see, 17 to 18, seemingly they had been faithful. They had not forgotten the Lord. They had not been false to the covenants. But you reach the ends and there are loose ends. There are no T's with crosses and I's with dots. And we're thinking, is that it? Is that the resolution? Really? There is no Psalm 73 style flash of inspiration in the middle where suddenly there is clarity. I went to the sanctuary of the Lord and I perceived their end. There is no Psalm 88, another very hard psalm. But at least there you've got God addressed as the one who saves me. I wonder if Psalm 44 is more bleak or the most bleak. Because you don't get the upturn. There is hope. But it's a bitter hope because it's a hope that springs from the past. Which means the present is all the more difficult. It works as a mourning, it works as a crying out. It's at the individual level, probably the king. It's the national level, therefore, the king who represents his people. So let's have a look at it. Um, 1 to 8, verse 1 to 8 is the, the kind of introduction, and it's looking back. It's recounting God's goodness in days gone by. His track record, his faithfulness. It doesn't seem like they're rose-tinted spectacles. It seems very real. This is what God did. This is what happened. It's not what he's doing now, but it's what he did in the past. We have heard it with our ears, O oh God. Our ancestors told us what you did in their days in days long ago. And you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. That word in verse 3, you, for you loved them. It is God who has been at work. It is you, 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 you. Do you see the repetition? This is what God did. Verse 2, with your hand, you drove out the nations. You crushed the peoples. Is, is anything of them? No. 
He puts it in bold. It's all God's doing. Verse 3, it was not by their sword that they won the land, not by their arm. Verse 6, I, I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. And so verse 8 jars, doesn't it? In God we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. It's not military strategy or tactics. It's not might or prowess. It's not the king and his skill. It's, there's no uncertainty. It is the Lord. And so they say they will praise his name forever. They look back and they see him at work and they see his faithfulness and his kindness. Which makes the rest of the psalm so difficult. I take it 128 is a great reminder for us, a perspective for us to cling on to in the hard times, to look back and see God having been at work, to look back at his blessings perhaps, to look back and remember that God is not sleeping, that he is active, perhaps as a church, perhaps as individuals, perhaps even looking back and seeing answered prayers and God's kindness for men. How despite her challenges, he blessed her. He blessed so many through her. Do you know, I'm so thankful for having the Langley family here at Morton Road. Even through the complications, even through the hardships and the setback, the difficulties. God has been at work growing us and maturing us, and shaping us, and helping us think about dignity and value. Helping us think about what it means to be a church where everybody is loved, and looked after, and cherished. Where the vulnerable are cared for. So maybe we need to take a moment this week coming up to just to look back in thanks for all that the Lord has done through Mim, and Hannah and John, and Abby. In us. So many answered prayers along the way. But you see, then verse 8 moves to verse 9. And the scene has changed. And it's all gone wrong. 1 to 8 was victory and blessing and good times. 9 to 16 is failure and despair and rejection and hardships. The highlight of the pain of the present reality. The soldiers presumably have returned. They've come back defeated. No doubt there's been news of the death of friends and loved ones, brothers and sisters. Gone is the joy of 1 to 8. Now is the anguish of 9 to 16. And friends, this is the important thing because this is where many of us might be this morning. He doesn't run from God. The psalmist runs to God. The psalmist's struggle isn't wondering if God is sovereign. He's not questioning that. That's the false move that sometimes people make. There is no theological U-turn. Despite his current experience, he knows God is good. He knows God is sovereign. He knows God is in charge. He knows God is powerful. And that is the problem. That is the issue. What he knows of God and what he sees in his life does not match. Does not make sense. Lord, I know you are like this. So why? 
Why this? I take it that's many of us this morning. Lord, we, we know you're good. We've, we've seen verses 1 to 8. We've experienced it. We've enjoyed it. And so why did you take her to be with you? Again, notice the use in verse 9 to 16. The tone of the psalm has changed, but let me read those verses again. Feel the discords and the darkness. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. And so verse 13, you have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The peoples shake their heads at us. Mocking and derision and scorn and ridicule for the people of God. Come on, Israel. Come on, where's your God now? How do you feel now when this so-called God of yours has up and left? Where is he? What do we do? Where do we go? Of course, there's a particular concern or a theological thorn for old covenant believers who who knew Deuteronomy 28, when they were faithful, they expected blessing. In the land, remember God, and he will remember you. And here, seemingly, they've kept their side of the covenant. We see them elsewhere being exiled and disciplined for disobedience, for not being faithful, but here, as far as you can tell, they followed him. And so where is he? And so what do you do? Verse 17, all this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the hearts? It's worth just saying, notwithstanding our situation here this last week, the tears of this last week, there is a reality of the suffering of believers around the world for whom Psalm 44 will be a year-round thing. That will be their life, whether in Syria or Nigeria or China or North Korea or wherever it might be, suffering and persecuted for belonging to Jesus all the time is a live issue for many. And we cry out with them to him, Lord, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? Why? Sometimes people say when God feels distant, we're to sort of simply and slightly glibly blunder in and say, well, who's moved then? The implication being we've moved, God feels distant because we've moved, and so you solve the problem, you examine yourselves from the underlying sin, you sort out your devotional life, whatever it might be. We get back on track, and often that can be helpful. Those things are good things to do. But isn't it striking in the psalm here, who's moved? God's moved. 
He's put them in the desert, it seems. And so what do we do? Where do we go when God doesn't fit into our box? When the systems of understanding and frameworks for comprehension don't quite work, what do we do? And Job could say afterwards, now my eyes have seen you. And you reach the end of Psalm 44 and it's just a dot, dot, dot. I take it many of us sit in this psalm this week. It's been a week of tears for many. As we mourn and we cry out with and for the Langley family. Maybe we look back and see many answered prayers. We see Mim growing and feeding and strengthening and sitting. And, and now this. And the dark shadow of grief looms over again. And it feels like God has gone. It's raw. So what is the answer for Psalm 44? Well, in the psalm, I think there isn't one. I said at the start, it doesn't behave like the lament psalms are meant to behave. That's okay because grieving doesn't behave as it's meant to behave. Things aren't neat and tidy. God doesn't fit into our boxes and systems. He is God. And sometimes it's okay just to know that and just to cry out to him. Scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. But I think Psalm 44 is really helpful. And I don't want to offer these as answers But I want to offer these as helps for us at this time. Four things that I think we can take from Psalm 44 that will help us. I think the first thing, we've already said it slightly, is to to look back and consider his goodness. To remember, one to eight, his, his blessings and kindness to us in the past, his rescuing us, his blessing us personally, Days, years, months gone by, remembering his kindness to us as a congregation. Remembering his kindness to the Langley family in many ways. In the midst of the wilderness is a good chance to remember the days of plenty. In a sense, don't trust your feelings in such a way that you forget his goodness. Second one is to commit ourselves to his sovereignty. That is a big danger at times like this is we begin to reshape our view of God based on our experience rather than what he says about himself or how he's revealed himself. So even when we don't understand, even when it's so hard, Even when we're confused and tearful, we will affirm that we trust him. Even if we don't quite get it. So when what we know of God and what we experience in this world don't match up, then we continue to trust him rather than our experiences. 
Some people want to make God a bit more tame, a bit less in control. The psalmist affirms God's power, which is why he can cry out. Which is the third thing. So consider his goodness, commit ourselves to his sovereignty. But then thirdly, he cries out to him. See verse 23 at the end there. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust, our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. He cries out. Some of us who were able to or who could bear it or who needed to gathered on Monday night to do something of that. To be honest, to cry out, to lament, to pray to turn to God, to ask the questions. The psalmist does that. I'm not sure we're great at it. It's all right to be honest. It's all right to cry out to him. The psalms are God's gift to us at times like this. It's not sinful to question or to call out. As Jesus suffered agony on the cross, he took words from songs like this and shouted them at his Father. Now we mourn and we grieve and we question in different ways, but maybe we need to get better at doing that. Perhaps it's being British for many of us. We're taught to not complain, to bottle it up, to minimize our outbursts. But to cry out is okay. In fact, it is good. The fourth one. To remember the cross. Because you see, our hope from Psalm 44 in one sense, doesn't come from within the psalm itself. It comes from how this psalm is used later in the scriptures. And so we must go through the lens of the cross. The end of the psalm is disappointing. It just leaves us hanging. It is a dot, dot, dot. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. But then we don't know. And we're into Psalm 45. And yet the cross is crucial. The cross is what we need to remember at times like this. It is the cross where we see God the Son facing the desolation of actually being deserted by God the Father, where he is forsaken and abandoned and rejected and he dies. It's at the cross where you see the God who suffers and through the suffering, working out his plans and purposes. It's the cross where you see a God who is not far off or removed or distant, but who is with us. It's at the cross where we see how much he loves his people. And it's not just a sort of glib extra at the end, a sort of pastoral tag on. It'll be okay, really. We will live happily ever after. No, no, this is, this is vital. Why? Because Paul uses this psalm in Romans 8. The cross is the answer to Psalm 44. The lens of the cross is what the author needed to know. It was what he was looking for in the midst of the darkness. The question is left hanging. 
We don't know where to go. And so Paul says, oh, here's what he needed. Here's what we have. And so come with me now to Romans 8. Um, It's page 1135 if you have a church Bible. Otherwise, it's just after Romans 7. The The context of Romans 8 is Paul writing to a church of people who were wobbly and unsettled and hurting, and so asking questions. And into the the fog of the reality of their pain, Paul gives them reassurances and hope, comfort and clarity. Let me read from verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Zoom in on verse 36 and then look at the footnotes. And do you see what Paul says? Despite what you're going through, despite life feeling like Psalm 44, asking your father, Lord, where are you? Are you sleeping? What are you doing? Well, Paul says we can be confident because nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why? Because at the cross, Jesus was separated for us. And because we are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I say where we face death all day long, where we feel as if we are sheep to be slaughtered, look to the Lamb of God who did face death for us. I say, do you see how Romans 8 is the answer? An answer. However much we might feel the pain, we might feel abandoned or forgotten or grieving, however much life might feel like it's out of control, however much it might feel like God is absent or distant or sleeping, however difficult and alien at times for us to grasp this, even on weeks like this week, particularly on weeks like this week, because of the cross we can be confident that he's at work and he's interceding for us. And that finally we are safe in Christ. Because Christ was abandoned. So that ultimately we never will be. As at the cross we look and we see a God who loves his people. And came to deal with suffering and sin forever. Let me pray for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
No. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Lord, we thank you for Psalm 44. Thank you for the, the model in many ways that it is to us. Some of the ways to think about suffering in a broken world now. Lord, in the fog, would you please give us the clarity that we might consider your goodness, that we might look back and remember and trust, that we might not trust our feelings, but trust what we know of you. Might we commit ourselves to your sovereignty, even when what we know of you and what we're going through doesn't make sense. Lord, might we be a people who cry out to you as we use the words that you give us to do that. As we cry out with the psalmists. And might we be a people, please, who even in the darkest times can grasp something of the bigger story. Who who can trust your love for us because we can look at the cross. Lord, be at work among us, we pray. As together, in all kinds of different ways, we grieve and we mourn. Help us to be patient with each other. Help us to be kind with each other. And Father, we do pray for the Langlis. Be very near to them at this time. And Father, we do thank you so much for them. Thank you for the privilege of knowing her. In Jesus' name, amen.